Hey folks, it's time for another episode of the High Power Archery Podcast. This week's episode, bow tuning. Yes, that's sore subject with so many people. You know, tuning's often looked at as some sort of mystical art that only bow shops and a limited number of their techs know how to do. But contrary to popular belief, it's not witchcraft or hocus pocus. Uh, this week's podcast will focus on how you, how you can tune your bow all by yourself in preparation for the tournament season or hunting season. It really doesn't matter which one. The tuning process is pretty much the same. In the end, we just want the arrows to fly straight so that the bow is doing its job and the archer, his only job is to shoot it with proper form. So let's just get started on this and we'll start with the very basics. And again, I'm going to break down this episode as being something that anyone can do. And I want to stress that anybody can do this. Most of it, you don't need any help from anyone else, just yourself. And you take the time, you'll get as much out of it as you put into it. So there's some base stuff that we have to get out of the way. And the first thing is, you should really check your bow to see if it's in spec to begin with. What do I mean by in spec? Each manufacturer has a certain group of settings there's usually two that are the most important that they go by and that's the axle to axle length and the brace height generally speaking if you can check your bow for those two measurements axle to axle by just measuring from the center of one axle to the center of the other and that matches what you got in the bow specs which can be looked up on the manufacturer's website then you'll know you've got a good starting point. And again, for the purposes of this discussion, we're going on very basic stuff. In advanced tuning, we can play with those settings to get a proper feel to the bow, whatever you want to do. But we're just talking about basic tuning here that gets you started. So you check the axle to axle length. Let's just say that's good. Fine. Check your brace height, which is measured from the the deepest part of the throat of the handle, so where your hand goes, to the string. Check that. Does that match in spec? Okay, we're fine. If those two numbers are within, say, an eighth of an inch or less, a 32nd, you're okay. Even if they're a little bit off, you're still okay. If they're a lot off, then you probably need to have the bow adjusted, which can only be done with a bow press in most cases because you may have had elongation of the, of the cables or the strings, which can happen from extreme heat, and we've gone over that before. A lot or overuse, poor poor build quality, that sort of thing. And that's going to take putting into a bow press to add twist to get it back into spec. But let's assume for, for the purposes of this podcast that you did get it in spec, it's perfectly right to go, or it's near perfect and it's satisfactory. The next thing you need to do is you need to inspect it. Look over the servings for all over the bow. Look at all your servings. Look to see if there's any wear there. Check the lean of the cams. If the bow is sitting at static and you're looking at it and either your top or your bottom cam is not straight up and down, it's leaning from one side to the other. And by leaning, I, I don't mean, you know, it's basically pointing 40 degrees in one direction or another. If you have that, you have a bigger problem, get it to a shop, let them find out what's going on. But if there's a little, there's no relative lean, you should be okay. It's straight up and down to the, to the naked eye, should be fine. Um... Then what we have to do is we have to look at the center shot. But going back to the inspection, if any of the servings are broken, any of the servings are separated, you have a problem that should probably be looked at by a tech 
and they can tell you what's wrong with it. And if need be, especially for the hunters out there, you want to fix this way before the season, get it going. We've already dispensed with that. We've checked it. The bow is passed inspection. Now we're looking on to center shot. Now, center shot is something that you'll hear 20 different people describe 20 different ways to do it. Some people say, oh, just eyeball it, you get close. Yes, eyeball it by looking at the cams straight up and down and let the arrow fall directly in there, and you make sure it's straight. That's one way of doing it. That's kind of the old school way of doing it. I still do it like that on occasion, but sometimes a more reliable way that I use is a little different. And you're going to hear people all over the place start saying, well, you should be going according to whatever the manufacturer's spec is. All right, some manufacturers will list the spec for their bows is like 13 sixteenths or three quarters of an inch. It really depends. But if you've ever had the bow worked on or if you bought it secondhand and stuff like that, be aware that what the manufacturer's spec is for a center shot, if there is one listed at all, may not be correct for the center shot for the bow that you happen to have. Why? If someone has shimmed the cams over on that bow, then the center shot is not where the spec is. What do I mean by that? If you move the cams over in one direction or another, they've now come out of what the spec center is. So if you're going to rely on that 13 sixteenths or whatever it is that the manufacturer says, it's not going to necessarily be correct. So how do you take care of that how do you figure out what the exact center shot is well like i said you can eyeball it and that get you started the other thing you can do which i find and this is usually what we do is take another arrow take a rubber band and use a rubber band to kind of jerry rick and tie it to the flat part of your riser usually parallel to the to the arrow or just below it and look at the run out of it and you should have exactly the same measurement from one point as far as spacing goes, to the other. So if at the back of the arrow, you've got, say, an inch separation, at the front of the arrow, you should also have an inch separation. And if you don't, your center shot's a little bit off, just adjust it slightly until those two numbers match. You've got what they call a base center shot. I find this method very effective. There are other ways of doing it. Some people use a laser for it. Believe me, there's a lot of different ways to do it. This is the simplest, doesn't require a lot of advanced, expensive tools to do. And I think you'll find it's the most accurate because sometimes your eyes aren't all that good. You try to just eyeball it. You're looking crooked at the riser or something like that. It's going to look like it's in center. It's not. This is a good gauge to do it and very, very simple. Um, now we got to talk about the arrow. So for, for a second, we're going to stop when it comes to the, to the hardware here. Now we're going to look at the arrows. There's a couple of things to consider when you're looking at your arrows. Um, first thing is, there's no such thing, okay, as an arrow that is too stiff. There is such a thing as an arrow that is too weak. And that goes completely contrary to what you're going to read on the tune charts that are provided by all the bow manufacturers. Well, not the bow manufacturers, the arrow manufacturers. And why am I saying that? Okay. If you look at some, first of all, keep in mind a couple of things. These tune charts were written, oh, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago at the earliest, I'd say, probably even later than that. 
but they were based on different cam designs. I mean, at the time we were using wheels instead of hard cams, that sort of thing. And they were almost all based on shooting a hundred grain point. I myself preach shooting a little bit heavier point in front, and I'm not talking about crazy. Maybe you throw 125 grains up there with a heavier insert. Just gives you a little bit more weight up front. More weight equals more penetration. However, if you do that, say if you put a 50 grain insert with 125 head, you're about 75 grains above, almost double what those charts were meant for. So you can take the data that they offer and throw it pretty much at, at the, out of the shop because it doesn't make a difference. And when we're doing this, I use a simple example. If something is too stiff as far as the arrow goes, so let's just say I'm shooting 70 pounds. My default when I'm shooting 70 pounds is going to be to set somebody up with a 300 spine arrow. And like I said, and we've discussed this in other podcasts, 300 spine refers to what that what that arrow bends like, how much pressure it can bend like. So we shoot a stiff spine like a 300 for 70 pounds, you're okay. Now, if your draw length is a consideration, remember the longer your draw length, and I'm talking about guys over 30 inches, the stiffer your arrow is going to have to be to compensate for it because over a longer distance, it's easier for that arrow to twist and to bend. So keep in mind, the longer your draw length is, probably the stiffer arrows you should be using if you're going to throw a lot of weight up front. At the same time, if you are one of these guys who's listening to all the the hype and the craze on the internet right now about heavy front of center, where you put a lot of extreme weight up front, and you think that you can just drop a 225-grain broadhead on a 400-spine arrow and shoot 65 pounds, you just turn that thing into a wet noodle. It's going to bend so much, it's going to be impossible to tune, and you're not going to want to deal with it. So, like they say, everything in moderation. If you don't know how to build an arrow like that, I don't suggest you go jumping into the fire and build something you don't know anything about. Go to somebody who knows how to build those. And most shops, they really don't know what you're talking about when you're trying to build something that heavy. Uh, Troy the Ranch Fairy will on YouTube will have different articles on how to build a successfully heavy arrow. He's got them from like the moderately heavy to the insanely heavy, depending on what, you know. And in the Northeast, if you're hunting, you're not going to be going out there and shooting, you know, rhinos. So I think anything around 500 grains total weight, you're pretty much okay. But I digress. The, the base of what I'm talking about is make sure your arrow is not too weak. It can be a little stiff because it's shooting center out of there. Stiff, it's not a problem. Weak, problem. Now, we've got the arrow thing out of the way. Another thing that's often overlooked when you're doing a tune, okay? First, look at your peep sight. Is your peep twisted? If it's twisted and not sitting directly back at you, it's just slightly off, no problem. If it's a lot off, like turn to the side, you have a problem. You need to correct that. It needs to be put in a press. The string needs to be turned until that and twisted until that peep is straight and if you find that when you draw it back the peep turns on you again then there's something wrong with the string and it has to be looked at well let's just say that your peep is is fine it's not that much off you line it up with your d loop and it pull back straight the d loop is the other thing that is almost always overlooked and i don't care who you talk to 
you'll see this, and I can correct someone's shooting problems a lot of times. When I see their D-loop, and either it's too long, too short, or the worst thing in the world, it is too stiff. What do you mean? I mean, I this is typically what I hear from the average guy out there. What are you talking about? My peep, peep side is too stiff. That doesn't make any kind of sense. I mean, I want it to be there when I clip onto it. Like, yeah, you do. Um, but do you when you draw back your bow with your release, have you ever noticed that you tend to twist it? Now, I teach people to shoot with their palm down as far as the release. I find it's much more consistent, so we don't really have problems with that. But if you look at the average guy out there shooting, they also tend to shoot with their palm twisted, and I mean a lot. And if there's flexibility in that loop, meaning it's not too short, it's long enough to accommodate the archer, but it's flexible enough so that if you twist it, it doesn't actually affect the shot. Because if you twist your D-loop a lot, you will torque the string. Torquing the string at full draw is a dangerous business. Why? If, and I don't suggest that you do this out at the range or something like that. If you run into me at the range, I will demonstrate it. One of our YouTube videos that we've got that we're being produced right now, um, I'll demonstrate it at full draw. Your string, I can do a lot of nonsensical things to it, including showing you that it's very, very flexible and very, very torqueable. And if I torque it enough, I can literally twist it. I can even take it off the cam and derail the bow, which results in a dry fire. So torquing that D-loop is a dangerous business. So you want to have a D-loop material that's soft enough to not induce torque when you're at full draw and firing your shot, but also so that it's not flimsy enough so that you can't get your release on there. If you can't get your release on there, it's too flimsy. If it's so stiff that I can hang my release on there and the loop doesn't even give way and fall with it, that's too stiff. There are a couple of companies who make D-loop that it's, let's just say, I, it might as well be made out of iron. Um. One company I can think of, I'm not going to mention their name, but that D-loop is so stiff, it's ridiculous. You can hang a heavy-duty release off of that thing, and it won't budge. It won't bend. Combine that with some people's D-loops that are just too short, and it's a recipe for disaster. So look at your D-loop. See if it's soft enough. If it's very, very stiff, like these ones that you find um, in most outdoor sporting goods stores, they sell little packages of D-loops, like three or four pre-cut D-loops and they're in usually camo or something like that, those things are so stiff you should never be using them, get it changed. Go to the shop or, you know what, if you know how to tie a D-loop, and there's plenty of videos online, John Dudley has a lot of them, order some D-loop material for yourself. It's not that expensive. You can buy it by the foot, or you can buy an entire roll. Order it, replace the D-loop, um, D-braid. There's all kinds of different brands out there. We'll look for something that's no greater, no thicker than, say, a two or something like that because otherwise you're going to wind up something that's too stiff, way too stiff. And if you can't feel it for yourself, it's it's not right. I usually would just buy it in person if you've never done it before um, from a shop, and you'll see the different, different brands and the different strengths of it, as I'd say. 
and see what fits. But like I said, if it's too stiff, it's going to cause a problem. So let's assume your D-loop's okay. You know about it. It's the right length. It's not going to affect anything big time. Um, now we're going to look at other other steps to go forward. So we've looked it over. We looked at the peep, the D-loop. We know our arrow is okay. It's moderately fine for what we're going to be shooting. That's why I said we want to eliminate the exactly weak arrow because you'll chase your tail trying to make that work, and it never will. You're going to need two different things. Now, mostly when, you know, when you're shooting with your buddies, whatever, you'll have one of the two available, if not both of them. So the first thing you're going to need is a bag target, and I try to use at least or a block target. I don't really care which one you use. I try to use something that's at least a 24-inch block target, the reason being that for the test we're going to do first, we need to make sure that I've got enough space. So a 24-inch target, let's just say. And what you're going to do, preferably, is place this target at shoulder height. I know that makes no sense to a lot of people. Putting it at shoulder height, there is a method to my madness, and you will see why. But get it at shoulder height. Because if you leave it on the floor when you're shooting at it, and sometimes you don't have any other option, but... Putting it at shoulder height eliminates the archer as being a problem when running this test because sometimes you'll you'll aim funny and it's going to cause bad results. So keep it at shoulder height. Whether you have to put it on a chair or something like that or on top of an tr- upside-down trash can, I really don't care. Get the target at shoulder height. And what you're going to do is you're going to shoot at that target from anywhere from three to five yards. So place your, place your dot you know, a sticker or whatever you want at the very top of the target and shoot it at three to five yards, not the center. Shoot at the top if you can. Place a dot up there, shoot at it. Make sure you hit it at three to five yards, sight in so you can hit it at three to five yards. Then shooting at the same exact dot with the same exact pin if you have a multi-pin. If you have a slider, do not adjust the slider. Start walking back and shoot it at... 10 yards. And again, you're going to need a couple of different arrows for this. Just Or if you just have one or two arrows, you can still do it. Just have to watch what it's doing. Step back. Shoot it. Same, same exact dot. Not adjusting the sight. Using the same exact pin. Shoot it at 20 yards. If 20 yards is your limit for what you've ever shot, stop there. If you can go back further, go back further. What you should see is the arrow go straight down in a line. So as you walk further back, the arrow's arc will get greater, and you'll see that it just drops in a straight line, and they'll all line up. That is an indicator that your center shot is fine. However, if you see, again, that it drifts from left, say if they start moving left on you, the further back you go, the more left the impacts are. Or the more right the impacts are. Then guess what that means? Your center shot is off. Now, this is one step. Now, we call this walk-back tuning or French tuning or whatever you want to call it. I personally don't care for a name. It's just tuning. So one thing that people forget when doing this type of tuning is If you see it drifting to the left, you're going to make a correction on your rest to accommodate it. So if it's shooting to the left, okay, say as I further and further back I go, 
It's shooting more and more to the left. Sure, no problem. It can be fixed. Your center shot is off because your rest is too far out. So if you're looking at the rest from the back of the bow, your rest is too far out to one side. So it's drifting left. Your rest is too far out to the left. Move it in small increments to the right. But once you move it to the right, and I'm not talking about big increments, small increments, move it over. Paper thin increments is probably best unless your shot's really off. And then, then go back to the three or five yard mark and recite in. People forget to recite in when you're doing this walk back or French tuning and it screws them up. They wind up going in circles and have no idea why it doesn't work for them. That's why. Recite in. Repeat the procedure again. Now start walking back. Is it drifting still to the left? You, If you find that it's drifting just a little bit more, readjust that rest a little bit more. Recite in. Again, the key Recite in. Do it again. Step up the three yards, five yards, shoot the same dot, moving back, shooting with the same pin, not adjusting the sight, move it back, move it back, move it back until you get them in a straight line. Do the opposite if it hits to the right. If it hits too far to the right, just look at your rest and you'll see that the arrow is pointing one way. Well, that's what you have to envision it doing, even though if you can't see the minute changes that it need for it, and move it to the left. And again, recite in, walk back until you get it to drop straight. Again, you don't want to do this when there's a lot of wind out. You want to do it on a fairly calm day or you want to do it indoors. Whatever is more convenient for you. If you can, if you have enough indoor spaces, shoot back up to like 20 or 30 yards. That's what you want to do. Again, the main point to remember is always recite in after you make the adjustment and only shoot within a range that you're comfortable with. Of shooting. So if you've never shot 30 yards before, your form may not be great and you may be all over the place. But if you always shoot 20, then just do it from 20. You'll see people, oh, you got to do this up to 40 yards and walk back. Like, yeah, no. Whatever your range is, again, this is tuning for the average guy, the average Joe, the average girl, the average Jolene, whatever you want to call her. Do it this way. And you're going to get that center shot balanced and perfect. Now, a big part of our tuning is now done because we've established the center shot and we know that it's correct. So the arrow is getting pushed directly from the center by the string. Because if the arrow gets pushed sideways by the string, you're going to have a bad reaction. And that's not what we're looking for. We want straight up and down. Now comes time to do the other part of it. So... If you're a target archer or if you're a bow hunter, your primary concern is that you get absolute performance out of the bow. For target archers, you want your bow to shoot flat. You want it to shoot excellent where you know you've taken all the parameters out of it so that it's you who's the only thing that determines what happens with it. And if you screw up, then the bow screws up and we don't worry about that. For bow hunters, they want their their practice points their field tips to go to the exact same place as their broadheads. Not a problem. This is how you do it. Get, and it's more more geared towards the bow hunter, but it applies the same way to the target archer. Believe me, we do it for, for our girls that shoot target, and it works wonders for them. 
you're going to need a foam target, not a bag target. Why? For the experiment and the testing we're going to do right now, a bag target is simply unreliable. Bags are stuffed with rags or whatever else they decide to stick in there. If you ever open them one up, I think you'd be shocked what you see inside. But the point is that when an arrow impacts, it could wind up pointing left or right, depending on what it hits on the inside and which way that winds up turning it. So this is an impact test as far as which direction the shaft is going to be pointing. So you need a 3D target or a foam target of some sort. I prefer 3D targets, but if you want to use a foam target, fine. Again, either at shoulder height or just below shoulder height. You're also going to need, and I'm a little bit meticulous about this, but this is why I'm saying it, get a piece of twine or something like that at least a distance of 20 yards long so that you can run it from the center of that target straight back to you. Well, I can just line up with it like, no. Just do it with the twine. Trust me, I've seen people visually think that they're lined up with a target and they're nowhere near it. And for the purposes of this experiment and this testing, you must be directly in line with the center of the target. So we run the twine straight through there. You've got the target out there. I use a 3D deer target. People look at me like I've got my head upside down because, and you'll find I use that term a lot. My head must be upside down at one point or another. But they look at me like I'm crazy because I use a three, uh, 3D deer target to do this, even with my indoor arrows. Let's not go there. But whatever. So you're running the straight line back to you. It's there. It's ready to go. Now, you need a bear shaft. Yes, I'm going to say it. You need a bear shaft to do this, which is absolute heresy to a lot of people who don't know anything about tuning. And they're like, why am I going to do that? I'm like, because if you want to see what the arrow does, with no correctable influence. What does that mean? Veins on the arrow are there to correct your screw-ups. There's no other polite way to say it. They are there to aid an arrow flight, and more importantly, to correct your screw-ups. Because the fact is, and people still look at me like I'm crazy when I say, you can shoot bear shafts at 20 yards and even 30 yards, and it won't impact at all. What it will show is your form is either screwed up or it's great. So we're going to use a bare shaft for this. Now, just strip off the shaft of any fletching on it, and you're going to shoot it at the target. You're going to hear other people say, well, we've got to compensate for the amount of weight that those veins would be on the end. Yeah, 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 don't care. This is base tuning. You want to get all detail like that? By all means, go ahead. If you don't know what you're doing with it, you put the wrong amount of tape, you put it in the wrong place, it's going to throw it off. We don't want to do that. As long as the shaft is exactly the same, if you have a wrap on it, leave the wrap on it, just cut off the veins, whatever, I don't care. And I was suggested doing it with two of them, not just one, because you might have a bad cull arrow there and you want to do it with two to make sure the, the results are correct. Step on that line that you ran directly to the center of the target and shoot an arrow at the center of the target. Now, this is, again, I've been doing this sort of thing for years. Ray the Ranch Ferry on YouTube, he has an excellent video on how to do this if you want to look at it further, get deeper into the weeds on it. But the base of the test is very simple. 
shoot it at 20 yards with your best form possible, preferably not on a windy day or you're doing it indoors. That's all. Go look at the impact. And this is why we don't use a bag for this because a 3D target, the foam is going to hold it exactly how it impacted. Whereas a bag, you could twist it. We don't want that. Go look at how, how it landed. If it lands with the tail high, we'll start with the easy part. Tail high, tail low. Let's just say it started, it landed, and the tail was high. Again, I tell people to shoot at shoulder height because if you're aiming down, it's going to look tail high. You're coming from a higher angle. If it ends, if it lands up with tail low, pretty much no matter what angle you're shooting at, it shouldn't land tail low anyway, but you can correct it. So if you look at it like this, if I land tail low, it's because my rest is too high. So I can move my rest down slow and minor incremental changes until I get the arrow to impact straight. If it's tail tail high, I'll I'll move the rest up to do the same thing. Again, small incremental changes is all you're going to do. And now I've got my up and down correct because we want the arrow to leave straight. We don't want the arrow to leave side to side or tail high or tail low. Now, one thing I left out is before you do all this with the tail high and tail low, back at the first point, and I'm sorry for leaving it out. I'll just mention it now. You should be able to draw back your bow with an arrow at it pointing at a target. Draw it back slowly and have a friend look at the bow and see if the cams touch at the same time. If the stops touch at the same time, you're in business, you shouldn't have any problems. If they don't, you need to get that corrected because otherwise that would impact this test that we're doing right now, especially for the tail high and the tail low. But I discussed that in the last podcast. So you adjust you adjust for tail high, tail low, and you're going to do the same thing for left and right, much like you did with the other test with the walk back tuning. Now, you've already done the walk back tuning, so the sight adjustment, there shouldn't be much. You're just talking about a hair here or there. Shoot again, make sure it's fine, it's all good. You've got that straight. Now, shoot another fletched arrow there, and they should pretty much go together. Um, for the hunters, one thing I'm going to point out is do not, I repeat, do not try to shoot a bear shaft with a broadhead on it. Basically, you just turned it into an upside-down airplane. It will do all kinds of crazy stuff, and it will not impact properly. That's why we do this with field points, but with a bear shaft and a fletch shaft. When you shoot them, they'll both go together, and they'll both stick in the same way. Um, for the target archer, you're going to shoot the bear and the fletched. They should land together. If not, follow the same procedure by adjusting it. Um, if you shoot broadheads with a fletched arrow, and then you have the, the bear shaft, they are, they're going to wind up pretty close to each other. Again, there's one other section we'll get into, but for, specifically for the hunters, but they should wind up pretty much close, providing you've followed all the instructions, tail up, tail down, tail left, tail right. You've done the walk-back tuning. We've put ourselves where we're narrowing down all the stuff that could possibly affecting it, and we're just taking them all out. So 
at this point now we've got the arrow coming straight out of the bow performing normally the basic tune is done and there was no magic involved in any of the stuff if you want to do more tuning to it additional tuning you can include torque tuning and line tuning but for the basic stuff you're pretty much done now you go and you shoot your bear shaft you shoot your broadhead if you're a hunter and you'll see that they're right close to each other in the case of the hunters if you find that it still doesn't come close they should be there you might have something else going on but let's just say they're a little bit apart just move the move your rest in the direction of the broadhead where it's hitting and shoot it again and i think you'll find you'll be okay but like again very very small incremental changes so what we've done in these kind of simple steps and again you see it's no magic no voodoo we've gone over very simple stuff that anyone can do without heavy duty equipment without all kinds of specialized stuff you can do it pretty much anywhere providing that the wind is not gusting up or anything like that and the most important part of all this is you must make sure that your form is good and also use two or three different arrows to make sure that there's not a bad arrow in the bunch and I think you'll find that if you've had tuning issues in the past, this will solve them. So, again, as with everything, if you have questions about this, and we'll try to do a basic video on how to do the, the tuning. I mean, we've got four videos already we started to put together. Um, look for the YouTube channel to launch soon, or we may use a different platform because I'm not crazy about how YouTube's handling stuff lately. Um Look for those videos. If you have questions, send them in to me. We'll try to answer as best as I can. If you have something weird going on with the bow, we'll try to get you on the right path to getting it fixed. So I hope this information will be useful to you when it comes to tuning your bow for the average person. And I say the average person because it doesn't matter if you're a guy, a girl, a young lady, or a young man. It doesn't make a difference. You can tune it yourself and not be at the mercy of waiting for someone to tune it only to find out that they say it's tuned, but for you, it's not doing anything different. Remember, the only person who can tune your bow is the shooter. I, as a technician, can work on your bow and I can get all the dynamics down to it. But when you come to me and say, okay, I'm picking up my bow, you're better be prepared to spend a little bit of time with me because I have to make minor adjustments to accommodate your style of shooting. Some people pull hard to the left. Some people pull hard to the right. That's why when I hear this thing about people going to shops and say, well, they paper tuned it for me. I want to scream like they paper tuned it for you. First of all, nine out of 10 times they paper tuned it wrong. Cause they paper tuned it at five feet. I'm not going there. Don't get me started. I'm a little riled up. I'm trying to come enhance my intercom. Yes. Okay. But, they did it for you. That's not good enough. It's got to be done at distance, and it has to be done by the actual shooter. We can get you close, but only the shooter can fine-tune it, and we will fine-tune it with you. Or in this case, you don't need them. Do it on your own. Do it in the field, and you'll notice that not once in all of these steps that I gave you did I mention the word paper tuning. Paper tuning is good and has its place when done in combination with a technician and the shop and sufficient distance and working together we can paper tune it but again it's not one of those things that you should say if my bow is not paper tuned it's not going to work 
You are the technician in this case. You are doing the basic tuning, looking over the bow, making sure it's all there, checking the D-loop, checking the peep, shooting, walk-back tuning. You're doing the bear shaft tuning. If you did these steps that I just gave you here, you have just accomplished about mm, 75% more than any shop's going to do for you anyway. And I might mention that if you walk into a shop between now and, say, the end of October, November, and say, hey, I need my bow tuned, they will look at you like you're an alien because they are so slammed with stuff, people coming in buying new bows and trying to do all kinds of other stuff. If a shop tells you, oh, yeah, we'll tune it up for you, I can guarantee you they don't have the right amount of time to commit to it, and you're not going to be happy. So better off to just start off on the right foot, do it yourself, do it with a friend, have a tuning party. I don't care. I've done this at Willowbrook where I had three different guys over there and we're all tuning the bows together, trying to get them to go. And the best part of it is not only do they get their bows tuned, they learned how to do it. The following year, I see them doing everything the same thing on their own. Spread it. Let everyone know this is not a big secret. Like I said, for the 12th time, it's not voodoo. It's not black magic. You can do it too. And I'm very, very into helping people become better archers and becoming a better archer is not just about learning how to shoot becoming a better archer is about knowing how to become self-sufficient learning how to do your own tuning learning how to do your own repairs learning how to help others tune their bows repair their bows my program that i teach my girls is a and 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 the young young men that i have in the in the program for my shooters is a little different and people call me crazy. But if you go up to one of my 14-year-olds who shoots in my Joad, they can not only probably outshoot you, they can also help you to tune your bow because they know how to do it. I've taught them all the steps. On Thursday nights at my place, it's overrun by my by my students. They own the shop. They come in here, they do whatever they're gonna do, is yap, 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 whatever, but they're working on their bows. I teach them how to make their own strings. I mean, they're self-sufficient. If something happens to me, they don't have to go wondering, well, how am I going to get my bow tuned? They know how to do it. And the best thing I've ever seen out of it is the kids who have been with me for a while, they then teach it to the younger kids. And I've gotten to a point where I come down on a Thursday night because I've got a shop in my house. I come down on a Thursday night. The girls are doing their thing over here. And we have a new one that may have started, a new 10-year-old, and they're already teaching her how to, how to work on her bow, how to make her strings. And to me, that's very, very important. So you have to become more self-sufficient. This is step one in becoming more self-sufficient. So that'll do it for the average Joe tuning. Now we're going to go to our regular segment on listener questions. Um, they're always entertaining one way or the other, I guess. So I picked out three for this week, and we'll cover, I think I have like another five left that I, I want to put on, and that'll be for the next episode. So we'll start with the first one. Jake S. writes, I listened to your episode on preseason prep and, and looked over my bow. Never thought of doing that before and found the serving on my cable near the upper cam was all separated. Don't have any idea how this happened. I just bought the bow last year, and it's basically still new. New to you, not new to anybody else. You, you've you had it for a year, so basically the bow is new. But with shooting and all that, it's not new anymore. 
So you can expect where to take place. Serving separation is something that you should really be concerned about. And he goes on, but that separation is pretty bad. I took it to the shop and they said not to worry about it. Okay. Don't worry about it. I'm attaching a pic for you to take a look at. What should I do? Or can I actually just ignore it like they said? And I'll pull up the pic over here. All righty then. So they told you not to worry about this. My first thing to, that I'm going to tell you to do is find yourself another shop. Anyone. I'm looking at this thing right now. You've got separation. You've got wear on the inner cable. Anyone at any shop who tells you not to worry about something like this, A, doesn't care, or B, is too stupid to know to tell you what to do. I'm sorry that I'm using such a harsh tone with that, but I see a lot of this. I'm not going to go into naming names or pointing out shop names, but I'm going to tell you there's a good number of shops out there who do the right thing. And then you have the guy, it has my calm, it has been calm, who does not care, and so he can avoid doing any kind of warranty work or doing any kind of work on the bow at all, or maybe because he's too busy, will say, it's nothing, don't worry about it. And when you come in with a blown string or a blown cable and probably needing a limb or two replaced, he'll be like, yeah, we'll get to it, see you in a month, or something like that, and it's going to cost you this much, much. No, go find yourself somebody who cares. Okay, find another shop. That's number one. Two, I'm going to tell you, this is a big cause from concern when I'm looking at it. And I can tell where it's coming from because your cam, I mean, I'm looking at this at this spacing that you got there, and I bet if you rolled around your cam at full draw, your cam is touching this cable, which means you have undue lean on it. This, because you have yoke cables on your bow, I can see it in the picture, should be a five-minute fix for someone to fix as far as the, the lean goes. And if they had any professional sense, they would either tell you to change the cable, which they'll get you another cable, or they would take that cable down, put it under pressure, strip off that serving, and reserve it for you. Sometimes they don't know how to do that. I get it. But at the minimum, they should have told you you need to replace the cable, and they should have fixed the cam lean. So again, I say, if they tell you there's nothing to worry about, Worry about it. Go somewhere else. Get it fixed. You don't mention where you're from here, but if you're near me, let me know. I'll fix it. I mean, this is ridiculous. By all means, it's something to worry about, something to be concerned about. As I am now calming down and winding down, enhancing my calm, you should go get it fixed. Our next listener question. Marvin P. writes, I could never get out beyond 30 yards without hitting my housing. I guess you mean the peep housing. I move my peep up with my Bowmaster press, just like you said, shot right over the target with my 20-yard pin, but adjusted, and now I can get out to almost 50, but I'm not that daring. Better to be cautious. But, as I said in a previous podcast, moving the peep can make all the difference in the world. I listened to your podcast, and it was a big help. Okay, so you did listen to the, to the podcast. I just am having issues with ups and downs on the impact now. I know it's new to me, I guess, and you were much help with a simple suggestion of moving the peep, but how do I get more consistent? The guys at my shop look at me like I had my head on backwards. People look at me like I have my head upside down. He has his head backwards. Okay. When I asked him to move the peep and they wouldn't do it. 
again. Physician, heal thyself, or in this case, consumer, heal thyself. Find another shop. If they're unwilling to move a peep for you, unless you were there when there's 50 customers in the shop, yeah, you need to find somebody else. So they wouldn't move your peep. Okay. So I ordered a Bowmaster bow press after I figured out if it would work for my bow. That's good. You made sure that it would work for the bow that you have. Not those, not all those portable bow presses work. I ordered a Bowmaster bow press and did it myself. It was scary at first, but wasn't too bad. Now I just need help figuring out how to get them together and tight again like they were before. Okay. So you did all the right things. You went to the shop. They wouldn't help you. You insisted it was a problem. You got yourself the research done. You got yourself a Bowmaster bow press. And again, that's specific to the type of bow. Some will work. Some won't. They're adapters to make it work with other types of bows. And you moved your peep. And you found that all of a sudden, you can shoot a lot further than you used to before. But you're running into a consistency problem where you have a lot of ups and downs. And I can tell you what that's about. What happens is, you'll notice that when you moved your peep, your anchor got a little out of whack. It's unfamiliar to you. Most bow shops will set it up so you can shoot at 20 yards. But if you want to shoot further, you're going to have to adjust your anchor and the peep. So when you adjust your your peep up, you're going to need to adjust your anchor. And what's probably happening is that you don't have a consistent anchor point. So your peep, nose to the string, is a good anchor point. Where it is on your face is another. What I find is that people who move their peep up tend to come out of the peep. And what, what do I mean by that? Since they're angling a little bit more further back to get that peep in the right place, they tend to start coming off or almost forgetting to touch their nose to the string or something like that as a reference. We have a very quick fix for this. You can either tie a piece of string to try a little bit of serving onto uh, onto a part of string where your nose is going gonna, gonna to touch. And we used to call those, excuse the expression, a snotter. Um, and it would be a, like a little serving knot that you just tied there and your nose would always touch the same spot. And if you came off the peep or leaned your head too far back and lost contact with it, you wouldn't feel it. They were great and we've been using those for 25 years. Bomar Archery just came out with the Bomar nose button. It's been around for about six months, maybe even a year. I don't know. And the great thing about that is it's a, it's as little, you don't have to tie on a serving knot. You'll have to serve it in place, of course, but it's a little uh, round wheel, let's say, made out, of, made out of plastic, and it's got little spikes on it. So you put it where you want it, you fit it, you tie it on, and your nose is in place, and you feel the spike. So if you're not pulling hard into it, then you'll know it. If you are if you lose contact with it, you don't feel the spike. And I think you'll find if you put something like that on there, because you don't have to go into learning how to tie a snot or anything like that, $15 or so, $15, 20 bucks, whatever they cost. You can put, put that, that snotter on there, and that'll work. And if you come out of the peep, you'll know it's not there. You put your nose back on, you'll, you'll find that this can correct your up and downs. So if you can't afford to get that or you don't have access to them, you can get them from Lancaster Archery and a couple other places online. If you can't afford to get to them or for some reason you don't have access to them, tie on the serving loop, make it big enough. You know, just go ahead and tie a knot on there. And if you don't have serving, get dental tape. Otherwise, no, there's tooth floss. Tie it on there, build it up, cut it, put it on, put your nose to that, make sure you keep your nose to that. 
I think it'll fix your up and downs. So that's not too hard to fix. But good on you because you didn't take no for an answer. When they wouldn't do it for you, you date yourself. And I think you're happier for it because now all of a sudden you can get out beyond 30 yards. Our next question. Cindy G writes, I've been listening to your podcast on hand position. I always get lefts and rights on my shots. I tried adjusting my hand, but I'll always wind up with one or two to the left of the group. What can I be doing wrong? You adjust Well, two things can be going on with that, Cindy. One, you're adjusting your hand while you're at full draw. And again, as I said, if you adjust your hand after you pick up that bow and go to draw, you randomize the position of your hand. Skin tension will cause the bow to slap out, to, to just bang out like a rubber band, like a rubber band. And that'll cause odd left and right impacts. The other thing that can happen is if you're moving your position, looking through the peep with your head, you may be looking through the peep at a different angle. That's two. For consistency purposes, look at your hand and see if your hand is collapsing on the bow. If your hand is collapsing on the bow, remember, it shouldn't go past your lifeline where the bow is sitting, and your hand should be completely relaxed. If your hand is collapsing, it's when it's collapsing you're going to get those random random shots off like that. Work on the hand position, just holding it back, and then try letting down. Uh, if you do the letdown drills, which I mentioned in another podcast, you can go back to them and and, uh, and listen to how we do that. If you work on your letdown drills, your hand will be accustomed to doing this, and you can actually draw with your hand completely relaxed, not have to adjust it at full draw, keeping it relaxed, but at the same time, knuckles at a 45 degree, pressure on the one inch right behind the thumb pad, and and shooting regularly, and I'll find your consistency is going to go up like that. But most of the time when I see this, it's because people are adjusting their hand at full draw. Okay, so that'll do it for the listener questions section of the show. Um, now it's time for our weekly segment, Don't Be That Guy. And for this week's Don't Be That Guy, it goes out to those folks that I run into from time to time at the range and at other shooting events, and everyone has seen them before. They know who they are. But let me just say this. If you're fanatical about the brand of bow you shoot, that's all great. But don't be that guy who looks down on other people or talks down to them just because of the brand that they shoot. More importantly, because it's not the same as you. I get it that some people are very proud of their bow, the company that makes that bow, and their brand fanatics. It happens. And if you want to be a brand fanatic, that's that's up to you. But don't try to impose your will on somebody else. And more importantly, don't try to make them feel bad because the brand that they happen to shoot is not the same as yours. And beyond all of that, don't be that guy who belittles someone just because they're using a less expensive bow or less expensive equipment than you are. You don't know what their situation is. You don't know if they can't afford to get something like that or or if they're just getting started and they don't really want to invest as much into it because they don't know if they're going to keep up with it or not. That's really, really, to me, annoying. And I see these people all the time who do this to others. And not only does it aggra- aggravate me, it 
it's kind of insulting to some people. You make them feel bad. There's people who don't want to go to certain ranges because they're going to run into these brand nuts over there. Um, and you're going to go to certain shops that you walk into. And I hate to say it like this, but it's a fact. They are a dealer for a particular brand. And they're when you walk in with a brand other than the one that they sell and they showcase, they'll be like, what are you shooting that thing for? What's wrong with you? You should be shooting this. And they try to impose their will upon you to get what they sell. And that just annoys me to no end. But you guys out there, and girls, because there's a few of them out there like that too, but you guys out there who want to be that guy and want to do that whole thing where you like, Knocking somebody down just because of the brand is shooting, something like that. Yeah, I run into you all the time, like I said. And normally, I'll stay quiet. But when you push me too much, my students will tell you, I get a little, and I'm getting a little riled up right now, I get a little crazy over that. And I'll very calmly be like, oh, okay. You're so proud of your brand or whatever. You know, the brand doesn't shoot itself. So tell you what. Why don't you throw out a target at 100 yards? Let's see who's got the brand really going. I happen to shoot PSE because I like PSE, but I can shoot other brands of bow as well. So the brand that you shoot that doesn't really matter. It's the shooter behind that bow that makes all the difference. So you pushing your fanboy fanatics at someone, trying to put them down, and then you're going to run into somebody like me who will put put you to the test, like, go ahead, throw it out there. Let's see you put your money where your mouth is. And then I will make it my goal in life to embarrass them. Be like, oh, but I thought you were shooting the best thing in the world. It's not the best thing in the world. It is the fact that, yes, you happen to like something more than everybody else. But why don't you keep your mouth shut and keep these sort of personal opinions to yourself instead of putting other people down about it. We're trying to compare them to you. I'm sorry if I sound a little ticked off because I am. Because I see this too much. And I, I really think that it tends to push people away from our sport. And in the end, what we're trying to do is keep everybody there. You want to increase the number of people who are doing this. But with some of these fanatics out there, they do nothing but to give a bad name to us. Because they think that everybody's like that. And guess what? If you try to get into an exclusive sport or what you think is an exclusive sport, some people are just going to say, that's not for me. I'm trying to get away and try to relax. I don't need to be dealing with people like that. So I don't put up with it too much. Bottom line, don't be that guy. If you love your brand, great. But don't try to press it on somebody else. Don't try to talk down on them because they bought a $300 bow instead of a $1,300 bow. Because the fact is, they can probably outshoot you just for running your mouth like that. And I've seen people whip somebody up in a tournament shooting a very inexpensive bow next to a guy who spent $1,600 on his bow. And like I said, it has nothing to do with the bow itself. It has to do with the person who's driving that bow, who's shooting that bow. So again, this week's episode of Don't Be That Guy comes with a piece of advice. Don't be that guy who does that. Be the guy who's friendly, open. If you don't want to be friendly, just keep to yourself. Big deal. But don't impose your will on others. I'm sorry for such a rant like that, but that really, really sets me off. 
So that'll do it for this episode of the High Power Archery Podcast. As always, be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast. Um, you can go on our website, www.highpowerarchery.com, and sign up for our newsletter over there. Uh, you can also submit questions to us. That's how we get our listener questions. You can also email us at highpowerarchery at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to answer any questions that you may have. So, as always, uh, it's never goodbye until we meet again. And until then, stay safe and shoot straight.